0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Aaron, and I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and we are in the middle of a series called A Tale of Three Kings. We've been looking at three different men, men who, if you would have, you know, just known them in their time, you would have thought, wow, those guys have something. There's something about them that's really unique, something about them that makes me want to follow them, something about them that stands out. I mean, we looked at Saul, and Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was tall and strong and handsome, and everybody seemed to want to follow him. We started looking at David, and eventually we'll look at a man named Absalom as well. But today we're going to continue the story of David. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to 2 Samuel, and we're going to start in chapter 11. If you want to open it up on your phone or wherever it may be, I want to allow you to be able to follow along. We're gonna look at a large section of scripture and I won't be able to look at every single verse. So let me just tell you where all of this is found so that if you have questions or if you wanna look at it yourself later, you can. It's 2 Samuel chapter 11 all the way through chapter 15. In fact, I'd encourage you to go and read it yourself later this afternoon or this evening, maybe do it together as a family. Now before we start, I do have a question for you though. I wonder, and and promise me before I ask this question, no throwing of elbows, right? Okay. Nobody's going to be elbowing the person next to them. Sound good? We got a deal? Okay. Here's the question. Have you ever had a problem, a pro- not the person sitting next to you, that's not what I meant. <laughs> ever, ever had a problem come up that you knew you needed to address but for whatever reason, you just let it go for a while. Ever had something like that? Ever had something that you knew that was wrong? Maybe it was something with a vehicle. Maybe something with a house. Maybe it was something that your, your wife or your husband asked you to take care of or one of your kids pointed out and you're like, yeah, 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 I'll get to that later. Ever, can, can we just have some honesty for a minute, ever had something like that? Did you ever let it go long enough that you wished you hadn't? (laughs) Maybe you didn't address it because, um, you know, you just didn't have the time right then. You had so many things going on that you thought, ah, I'll get to that later. Or maybe you didn't address it because... It was kind of expensive, and you were hoping that somehow, miraculously, it would just fix itself, as if it wasn't really a problem, and then maybe it would just get, get better. I, I've been guilty of that, you know? Or maybe you just didn't address it because, frankly, you were just being lazy, and you'd had enough at that point, and you let it go. See, I, I had a tire once that had a problem. It had a little bit of a leak in it. Ever had one of those? Now, I've plugged a lot of tires in my day. I grew up on a farm. We learned how to plug tires and all kinds of stuff. I've had to plug trailer tires and and equipment tires and chipper tires and, and truck tires and car tires, all that. But this particular tire, the leak, was just a little bit off to the side, and I wasn't really excited about that. Because you can't really plug a tire when the leak is on the side. It'll blow the sidewall out. And here's what I found. I found that if I aired the tire every day, I could make it through the day. (laughs) So I'd start each day you know, on this particular piece of equipment when I had to take it out. I'd start each day just airing the tire up. No big deal, right? Well, it went on like that for a while because I didn't really want to buy a tire. The tires were really expensive for this, and so I kept going. I aired it up in the morning, and then one day I was running down the highway fairly, you know, quickly, not over the speed limit, mind you, but fast enough. And then I heard something that sounded like a shotgun went off inside the cab of the vehicle. Any guesses as to what it might be? Sure enough, it was that tire that I'd been letting go for a while. And now I'm stuck on the side of the highway. It ripped a fender off of a chipper and made a small problem into a bigger problem. You ever had that? Here's the interesting thing. When I look at my life, and I start looking at things that sometimes God kind of puts his finger on, that may not be super big issues right now, but, but if I'm not careful and if I don't start dealing with it, it's very quickly going to become like a leaky tire that will blow up in the middle of the highway which potentially could have hurt somebody else really badly, and thankfully didn't. But it did more damage to a piece of equipment. And the same is true in my life, that when there are things going on that I need to address and I ignore them. Maybe because I think it's too hard, or it'll cost too much, or it'll embarrass me, or maybe just because I'm lazy, I don't address it, before long, you can be sure, it's probably going to blow up. That story reminds me of what happens in the life of David. See, David starts out and things are going so well. If you've never heard of the man named David, let me just tell you a little bit. He was a man that the Bible says he's, he had a heart that was after God. He loved God. He was trying to please God. He, he stood, he was courageous and merciful. He, he had been anointed to be king. It seemed that everything was going so well for David. And then by the time he was 49, close to 50, not a whole lot older than me, things took a drastic turn. See, here's what I find, found out about David when I read his story. It's this, David's story doesn't have a fairy tale ending. It doesn't go the way that I thought it would. And, and I've wondered, why in the world does David's story go so different than the way it looks like it should go. It made me wrestle with a question. In fact, this is a question we're going to wrestle with today. How do you start so strong and then fall so hard? How in the world could somebody who had so much potential, so much good going for him, he's loving God, he's serving God, how in the world could he be at the top of his game? And then before you know it, David ends up at the bottom of a crick. How does that happen? See, I think it happened because there were things going on in David's life that he ignored. There were a few leaky tires. Rather than taking them off and replacing them, doing something, repenting, making a change, he let them keep going. And the, the two things that show up the most to me in David's story along the way, from about that time that he was 49, 50 years old, are passivity, and shame. Those two things, because he didn't deal with them, they shipwrecked him. He ended up in a pit. Now passivity, that, it's a weird word, but it, it's the idea of not being active in the areas where you should be active. Ignoring doing the things that you should be doing. It's, it's something that, frankly, I'll be honest with you, we're, we're, we're very familiar with. How many times do we know we should do something, and we don't? We know we should apologize, ask forgiveness. We know we should open our, our Bibles, right, and read and pray. And talk to the Lord. We know we should repent. We know we should ask forgiveness. We we know we should do these things. And, And yet, we go back to the couch. And we're passive. Which leads us into this shame cycle, right? So I want to show you David's life. I want to show you the leaky wheels in David's life so that you and I can avoid these pitfalls that will cause great problems in our lives. It all starts in Second Samuel chapter 11. In verse 1, we read this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, the armies go off to war, but but kings needed to go and lead their people. They needed to be there. Kings didn't shouldn't just sit at home and 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 you know get all the glory when everybody else did things for them. No, they should go out. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. David Rather than being active and doing what he did or should have done, he stayed home. Now, if you want to go and read this on your own, you can, but in in 2 Samuel 21, there might have been a reason why David stayed home, but still it was it was an excuse, okay? Let me let me explain. the Bible, not every book of the Bible is written chronologically, okay? It's not all written in order. So sometimes when you read it, you need to know that those pieces didn't happen in that particular order. Well, 2 Samuel 21 is one of those things. There's this story where David is out at war and he's fighting and they're battling and, 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 and they're winning, but David is fighting so hard that he got exhausted to the point that he he just had, he just like collapsed. And all of a sudden, one of these great Philistine warriors came out and was going to kill David, and if it weren't for a heroic act of one of David's men, David would have died on the battlefield that day. And the men came around him, they said, that's it, no more are you to go to war with us, lest we lose you and all of Israel struggles because we lose you. I wonder if David started to believe in his head that idea that he was indispensable. He began to believe That he was so good, so important, so needed that he's like, nope, I'm going to stay home. The country can't survive without me. Well, David stayed home. Now, here's the thing. If you've ever read this particular chapter, you know what happens in 2 Samuel 11. If you you haven't, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I will tell you what happened. David stayed home one night. While he was resting, he got up, he went on the roof of his house, and from the roof of his house at about sundown, he saw a woman who was probably taking a ritual bath, going to a mikvah in the area and cleansing herself from from her monthly impurity. And when he saw her, he began to lust after her. Eventually, he brought her to his palace And the rest is history. It's the story of David and Bathsheba. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he wanted to cover it up because very soon he found out that she was pregnant. One thing led to another. David brought Uriah, who was one of his mighty men, a man fighting for him while he's at home, being passive and sinning against him and committing adultery. He brought him home, and he tried to get him to go home and sleep with his wife, but Uriah refused. He, he wouldn't because his men were out fighting, and he would have nothing to do with the niceties of being at home. And so eventually, David orchestrated his death. Oh, David didn't take the sword and do it himself, but David made it happen. How does that happen? Well, here's how. It started with the little things, the little things that he was passive in leading himself. David was passive in leading himself. Here's what I mean. It's not much different for us. It's, we know that we should be gathering our families together and spending time praying. Men, how are we doing at that? We know we should be leading our families by making sure that we're getting up and spending time in the Word, making sure that we are serving in the family, but how often do we just stay on the couch or go out and do what men do because it's hunting season? How often do we do that? Where we know the things that we should do and rather than leading ourselves and prioritizing what is right and choosing to, to, to lead ourselves by guarding our tongues and guarding our minds and and, and guarding the, the things that help us grow in the Lord, instead we are passive and we give it up and we say, Ah, it's no big deal right now, I'll deal with that later. I've got work to do. I got my job. I gotta fix the truck. But he kept doing, David kept doing what he was doing. He had a chance to change, but he didn't. He was passive in leading himself. So let me show you what happened in chapter 12. If you turn over there, a man named Nathan, a godly man. One of David's friends, one of David's advisors, he was a prophet, he he would often receive messages from the Lord. In this particular instance, he received a message from the Lord, so he went and he talked to David. And he told David a story about two people who lived in the same area. One was a very rich man, one was a very poor man. The very rich man had everything he would ever need. The very poor man only had one, one sheep. The rich man had all the sheep and all the cattle and everything he needed. The rich man had a friend come and visit him, and rather than taking one of his own livestock and and butchering it and creating a meal, he took the poor man's livestock and butchered it because he could. And he served it to his friend. And David got very angry. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 5 and look at what it says. It says this, David burned with anger against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over. Verse 6, he must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. And then Nathan responded to David and said this, you are the man. See, David was passive in leading himself, and it led him deeper and deeper and deeper. into it. First, he, he, he was lusting after this woman. Rather than doing what he should do, rather than guarding his eyes, rather than, than guarding his time and being careful what he was doing and being out and being active and pursuing what he was supposed to be doing, he stayed home. And it took him down a path, and eventually it ended with murder. Nathan says, you are the man. Here's what I know. I know that being passive in the things that we should should engage in, right? Being passive in the things that we should engage in leads to being active in the things that we shouldn't. It leads us into sin. It makes me ask myself a question like this. Where are you doing what is easy instead of what is right? David chose to do what was easy. And it crushed him and his family. Man, it's so easy to think that being passive isn't that big of a deal. I'm not actually doing anything wrong. I'm telling you being passive will take you further and further into sin. Being passive in having a conversation with someone that you need to talk to. Being passive in leading yourself. Being passive in guarding your mind. Being passive in getting rid of the things that are taking you deeper and deeper into sin. It's destroying you and me. Where are we doing what is easy instead of what is right? I wonder if at home, again, men, I think being passive is one of the biggest problems that we find in the home for men. Are we servants in the home? Are we leading in the word? Are we leading in prayer? Are we leading our children? Are we reading God's word with them? Are we, or are we, are we actively saying, nope, that's someone else's job? That's the church's job. That's my wife's job. That's someone else's job. No. Are we passive at work where we should be taking a stand for what is right and not joking about the things that we joke about or talking like we talk? Are we passive in our neighborhood, passive in engaging people who need to know about Christ and God is literally putting them at your door and yet we're passive? Are we passive in our relationships? Now I want you to see what else happened. Going into chapter thirteen, there were more problems. See, when Nathan met with David, he told him, uh, he told him, "You were the man." And David repented. He did. He acknowledged it. He he did what Saul couldn't do, and didn't do. So that's good. He repented and because of that God spared him from some of the wickedness that could have came upon him. But his sins still had consequences and God said to him the sword will never leave your family and the things that you've done in private are going to be done in public. And that's exactly what happened And chapter 13 begins to tell us that story. In verse 1 we read this. In the course of time Amnon son of David Amnon by the way is the firstborn. At this point He is the one that's in line to become the next king. Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. This is Amnon's sister. This is a very, just so you know, this is a very, very difficult passage of Scripture. This is a a passage that is hard to read, okay? And so I, I urge you just to listen. This is, by the way, this is one of the reasons why I, I do love God's word. I think it, it tells us stuff that if people were making it up, they would never tell us this. You understand that? If people were telling us a story, you know, that would make God the hero and, 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 and tell us a night, it would never look anything like this, which gives me so much confidence. In God's word. So Amnon falls in love with Tamar. And then in verse two, look at what it says. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, th- that may not seem like much to us in our culture, but in their culture, there was a distinction for for young women before they were married, okay? there was There was, you know, This was a a different stance than in our culture, okay? It was very clear that no one could touch her until she had been engaged and and, and married to someone. But Amnon does what people caught up in sin do. Look at what occurred. Verse 3, now Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shimea, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd, he was a very kind of, eh, wise isn't the right word, cunning might be the right word. And he asked Amnon, verse 4, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning, won't you tell me? And Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So then look at what Jonadab told them to do. Verse five, he said this, go to bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. Is anybody else creeped out by this? Can we, can we just have a minute for that? Like that's weird, Right? It's weird. And the reality is that he carries out Jonadab's plan. And David shows up, and I'm telling you, like, how in the world, as a dad of girls, do you not look at this and go, red flag, red flag, red flag, there's a problem here? Right? Right? But he didn't. David let it happen. I don't know if there's a... I don't know if there is a more painful portion of this entire story than this. That David let it happen. Not only was he passive in leading himself... His passivity bled into his leadership of others. David should have known. He should have been active and said, Dude, Amnon, what's going on? What is going on here? This doesn't sound right. You're sick? Cool. Let's get a doctor. Not, you're sick? Awesome. Let's have your beautiful young sister come and cook in front of you and feed you by her hand right? Something was wrong. Guys, ladies, passivity will take us to a place where we refuse to be and do what God has called us to be and do. He was passive. And so he couldn't lead. So Amnon carries it out, he does does the whole deal, he goes about it, Tamar comes in, and you you can just imagine with me what happens. Amnon forces himself on Tamar. This great wickedness. And when it's all said and done, he couldn't stand the sight of Tamar anymore. This is a story that I'm sad to say, unfortunately, is all too common in our culture. Maybe not the relation, but the rape. It's a story that is terrible. And Tamar pleads and says, don't send me away. Please, listen. Don't send me. If you send me away, that's even more shame and and more guilt. And it's terrible. And Amnon hates her and look at what it says in 2nd Samuel chapter 13 and verse 15. It says, This then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, Get up and get out, he kicked her out. Verse 16, no, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me, but he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant, and he said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. And Tamar put Ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and she went away weeping aloud as she went. And I'm going to tell you, David had a part in this. See, when you are unwilling to lead yourself, it's impossible to lead others well. When we're passive in leading ourselves, it affects how we lead our children, how we lead our spouses, how we lead our coworkers and our neighbors, how we lead other people at church and in the community. Verse 20, her brother Absalom, Tamar's brother Absalom says, has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister, he is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. It sounds like he's just telling her, just forget it, but that's not what he's doing. We'll see what's to come. And then David heard about it. Verse 21. When King David heard all of this, he was pure, furious. But he did nothing. He didn't go to Amnon. He didn't confront him. He didn't talk to him. He didn't say what you've done is wrong. He just ignored it and just let it be. That passivity bled over into how he engaged in his family. And we're seeing David go down a hill fast. I'm telling you, watch out. That passivity is a killer Don't ignore what's happening in your heart. Don't ignore what we're called to be and do. It will kill us, makes me ask this question. Where are you avoiding leading others well? Is it your spouse? Is it your boyfriend, your girlfriend? Do you need to take the lead in your dating relationship to change how you interact with each other? What needs to happen? Is it praying with your family? Is it what you allow to be said or to be viewed in the home? Is it being holy in your relationship? Is it reading scripture with your family that you've been avoiding leading and now you need to do it? Passivity will kill us. And here's the thing. The story continues on and his passivity led to another problem, another pitfall. It was shame. And his shame had all kinds of consequences. Look at what happened. His shame led him to start overlooking sin. In fact, he overlooks the sin of Amnon. It said he was furious, but he doesn't confront. I wonder, who do you need to have a conversation with because you know things have been going on that you've just been ignoring and overlooking? And it's time. It's time to have a conversation. The story goes on tells us in verse 22, And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. So then two years later, when Absalom's sheep -sheep shearers were at Baal-Hazor, near the border of Ephraim, he invited all the king's sons to come there. He's throwing a big party. They're shearing all the sheep. Absalom went to the king and said, Your servant, your servant has had shearers come. Will the king and his attendants please join me? And David answered. He told him, No. He says, This, no, my son, the king replied, All of us should not go. We would only be a burden to you. Although Absalom urged him, he still refused to go, but he gave him his blessing. And so then we get to what Absalom really wants. Absalom then asks him in verse 26, he says this. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon come with us. And the king asked him, Why should he go with you? The king knew something was up. Why? Why, why, why? And rather than confronting it, and rather than dealing with what was in his heart, and rather than saying, Stop, don't do this, he let it go. And the text tells us that he let Amnon, go. Look at verse 27. But Absalom urged him, so he sent with him Amnon and the rest of the king's sons. David knew something was up. Absalom's planning to kill Amnon. And rather than saying something, confronting, he overlooked the sin. Which begs the question, what sin are you not dealing with? Again, it's a leaky tire. It's going to blow at some point if you don't do something with it. How long will we ignore it? The story is Terrible as well. I'll tell you briefly. Absalom throws this party. He tells his friends, Hey, when Amnon has had a bunch to drink, pull him aside and you know what to do. It wasn't just take him out to the woodshed, it was go dig a hole and leave him there. And they killed him. And Absalom knew he was in trouble. He knew that his father was going to be mad. So he fled. He packed up stuff and he ran. He ran, and he was gone for three years because David never reached out to him, never said a word to him, never pursued him, never confronted him. He should have come alongside him and said, this thing that you've done is wicked and wrong, and there are consequences, but I want you to know that, that I, I, I love you as my son. He should have been there to support and pursue, but, but confront and call out the sin, but he did none of that. He let him be there for three years. And eventually another man, here comes Joab again, has to say, hey, bring him back. And he brought him back. But you know what David said to Joab? He said this, you can bring him back, he can live in his home, but he should never put his face before me. Sounds a lot like a, a man after God's own heart, doesn't it? No. You see, his shame wrecked him. His shame kept him from confronting others' sin and his own sin. His shame, all of this stemming from what he did with Bathsheba, he knew he had done the same thing as Amnon did to Tamar. He knew he had done the same thing as Absalom did to Amnon. He had murdered Uriah. It kept him from being and doing what God had called him to be and do. And here's what we find. His shame keeps him from moving forward and fixing things in his family the way that they should have been fixed. I wonder. What are you not facing that needs to be dealt with? David just ignored it. He ignored it. You can read this in chapters 14 and 15. He, he ignored Absalom. He wanted nothing to do with him. Finally, Joab convinced him, you know, have him come in. He brought him in. He hugged him. He kissed him. But by then it was too late. Absalom was already mad and bitter and he started undermining David's authority. He started sitting in the, in the gate where all of the wise men would. And when people would come and they wanted advice from David, Absalom would grab him and pull him aside and say, oh, I'm really sorry. I feel so bad that there's no one from the king who can hear your story. If only, if only I could hear your story and then, and, and then people would try to like bow down to him and give thanks to him. No, 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 no. You know, he's, he, he, was, he was being a politician. You know, he's shaking hands and kissing babies and stealing the people's hearts. All because David was unwilling to do what he needed to do. So here's the thing, today is a day, today is the day to deal with what is going on in our hearts that needs to be dealt with. If you're new to following Jesus or if you're not even sure about Jesus, I want to tell you what I'm speaking about here today is really aimed at people who would say, I'm trying to follow Jesus. God. But if you are here today and you're saying, I I love Jesus and I'm trying to follow Jesus, now is the time to set aside your passivity and shame. Now is the time to make a change. Today is the day of repentance. I, I love what Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 12 It tells us this in verse 1. It says, uh, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. Listen, it, it happens to all of us. We all struggle with sin. I'm not saying that we should just, you know, give in. I am saying, realize now is the time to turn away. It's not too late. Put it aside. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what that's saying? There is forgiveness and grace and mercy available for anybody who would ask. Anybody who would ask. I just wonder what is your leaky tire. See, here's what I want to ask you to do in closing. If you're taking notes or even if you want to grab one of those, you know, connection cards that's in front of you, I would urge you to write down your answer to this question and talk to somebody about it today. Here's the question. Do you have undealt with sin that is causing passivity in your marriage or relationship? Are you being passive towards your husband or passive towards your wife or passive with the Lord, passive in his word? Are you being passive with your children where you need to engage and you need to correct and you need to teach and you need to read God's word? Are you being passive in being a servant in the home? Are you being passive at work? Where you need to have conversations with somebody. Are you being passive? Nope, not my job. Nope. Are you being passive in your neighborhood, community? Whatever it is, today is the day that we set it aside. We take the tire off. We change the tire. And we start rolling down the road. Father God, I pray that we would not be a passive people. I, I pray, God, please change us. I can be passive. I can I can look at things and go, you know what, I'll deal with that later. I'm tired, God. You know how tired I am. Or that's co- that'll cost too much. You don't know how, how embarrassing that's gonna be or how hard that's gonna be. God, I pray that we would genuinely be your people who will say, No. We are not going to fall into that pitfall. We're going to stand strong. We're going to repent. We're going to take you at your word. When you say if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, I will believe you. God, please, please help us to avoid the outcome of David's life. pray. In Jesus' name.